we've been talking about how God gives to us in Jesus, as I mentioned before, love, joy, hope, and peace. Talking about all, all, uh, all four of those themes, and tonight we talk about peace. And when I think about peace, most often what comes to my mind, and maybe for some of you this is what you think about, I think about just kind of being in the mountains. Um, I know some of you really enjoy that. Some of you probably hate that, and it's not very peaceful getting up there. Uh, But once you're in the mountains, and you're past the traffic, and you don't have any cell reception, and you can't go on Facebook, and there's not a bunch of noise, and there's just kind of miles of mountains, and just it's just beautiful. And when I think about peace and quiet, I mean, that's what comes to my mind. Uh, maybe even for some of you, that's why you moved here. I know people that have moved from other cities here to kind of be in the mountains and to get that sense of peace. I also think of uh, a story I heard uh, the last few weeks as I was kind of thinking about peace, and maybe some of you have heard this story, but in, uh, in 1914, in 1914, just a little while after World War I had begun, or what was called at that point the Great War, uh, there's, it's, it's Christmas, it's Christmas, Christmas Eve, and you know back then if you've watched, if, I don't think any of you were there, were you? Um, but uh, back then, they fought in trenches, right? And so they had dug out trenches, and then there'd be a big space in between, no man's land, and then uh, trench over here. So you've got the French and the Belgians and uh, the, the, some British troops that are in this trench, and you've got the Germans that are in this trench, and it's Christmas Eve, 1914, and all of a sudden, the Allies, the British, the French, the Belgians over here in this trench, hear some silent night singing in German, but they know the tune. And I'm not going to sing it in German because I wouldn't even know how to, but they hear silent night from the, other, from the other side. And then they decide to sing a carol of their own. And then they sing another, it's kind of like a, it's like a dance-off, a carol-off, and and they're singing, Oh, come all ye faithful. And then some of them shout, Merry Christmas. And some of these guys shout, Merry Christmas. And eventually, some of them get up the courage to yell out, You don't shoot, we won't shoot. And they, and they get up. And this was known as the Christmas truce of 1914. And this is actually some pictures where they met on Christmas, Christmas Eve. And some of them, this, this happened in a couple different places. Some of them actually played a soccer game together. Some of them helped bury the dead together. And um, it was kind of this well-known thing. Uh, This just says the power of peace in the time of war. And one vet later said it was a short peace in a terrible war. I mean, the next day they went, they went back to fighting. But the, one of the articles I was reading this in was uh, Time Magazine. And the Time Magazine quote, At the end of the article said this, and though the Christmas truce may have been a one-off in the conflict, the fact that it remains so widely commemorated speaks to the fact that at its heart, it symbolizes a very human desire for peace, no matter how fleeting. So this story of this crazy little, 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 few hours of peace that happened in the middle of a war, Time Magazine said, and I think rightly so, that because this, this story is so widely known, so widely appreciated and commemorated, there's statues of it and there's songs that have been written about it and all these different things. Why? Because it, it shows how much in the human heart there is a longing for peace. No matter how fleeting, no matter how quick, no matter how brief, 
that there is this deep longing in the human heart for peace. And I think time is right. I think peace is something that we all long for. I think peace is something that we all crave. However we think of that, I think peace is something that we all desire, and yet it's fleeting. I mean, just as this story shows us what a, what a great day to play soccer and to sing carols and the next day go back to shooting each other. But our life is like that. Peace is something we long for and sometimes get a snippet of, but it seems to be fleeting. It seems to be so quick. It seems not to be able to be held onto very long at all. And Israel, God's people, thousands of years ago, longed for peace. They longed for peace. They had hoped for peace. One nation after another nation had conquered them, and, and, and they were in captivity, and they had longed for peace. They'd longed for the day when there would be peace, when there wouldn't be any more war, when there wouldn't be any more captivity. And so thousands and thousands of years ago, a man named Isaiah wrote this prophecy at the beginning of his book. He wrote this prophecy at the beginning of his book about a day that would come that Israel longed for when there would be peace. And it says this, sorry, something's up with the screen today where everything is really small. So if you can't read this, it's not your eyes going bad, but it's the screen. So here's what it says. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So so Isaiah is envisioning this day, he says, when, and he talks about the mountain, and he's saying that there will be this day that will happen, this day that will come, one day that that God will be worshipped by all people, that people from all over the world will come to him and worship him, and his law will go out from Zion, this mountain, that his, his law will go out so that people will walk in his ways. So they envision this day, one day will come when all people are responding to God. When all people say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, that he may teach us his ways, that we would walk in his path. So they envision this day that will come. And the result, and then this is what he says also, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And so he says this will happen. People people that have, because God, because everyone will be coming to God, he'll judge between the nations. There won't be any disputes anymore. I mean, imagine that. Imagine no more disputes no more arguments, no more tension, no more, none of that, because everyone's coming to God, and God is teaching everyone, and everyone is responding to God. And then it says this, they shall beat their swords into plowshares. So a sword is a weapon of war, right? Something you use because there's not peace. It's something you use because people are against one another, and yet he says the sword will be beaten into a plowshare, a gardening tool, so what was once used as a weapon of death will be used as a tool for life to create, to create crops. And the same thing with spears. The spear, they'll say, we don't need a spear anymore. We're going to turn this spear into, into a, 
a pruning hook. That would be like if somehow everyone said, we don't need these guns anymore. Let's use this as a shovel. I mean, that you know, it wouldn't probably work as well as those tools, but that's the idea. We don't, use the, we don't need these grenades anymore. We don't need this, this bomb anymore. It's, let's make it into a nightstand. Let's make it into something that, that can create community, something that can create, not nightstands do that, but you know, let's make it into a dining room table after we diffuse it. And he says, they're, they, they're, the spears will be turned into pruning hooks and nation will not lift up sword against nation and neither shall they learn war anymore. You know, today we have, in our country, we've got places that are, you know, army boot camps, and we've got ROTC, and we've got, we've got um, West Point, and we've got all of these different places that teach military, and I'm not making any political statements against any of that, okay? I'm not making any political commentary, but I'm saying, man, wouldn't it be nice if there wasn't institutions that had to teach war anymore? If there wasn't any institutions that said, let us train you on how to do battle, because all there would be would be gardening schools if West Point became West Point Gardening Academy instead to teach how to bring life instead of war. And so Israel longed for this day. They longed for when this day would come. They longed for when this day would happen, when peace would finally come. This was something that was prophesied, that one day would happen And it's not just Israel that longs for peace. I think just as the Time article said, and just as you know, we long for peace. We long for peace. And so as we talk about peace, I want you to think about this. Where do we need peace? Where do we need peace? And and you can think about this first just in the world, right? I mean, man, it's so crazy that you just, you you know what's interesting is this. I think back in the day, before, before television and, and even before radio and newspaper and, and especially before social media, there would be conflict happening. There would, I mean, the world has never been at peace. There would be conflict happening, but you wouldn't always know about it. You would know about it if it happened in, in your neighborhood or in your city or, or in your area. But now, I think we all live with zero sense of peace. Because no matter what happens in some small corner of the world, we always know about it. I mean, there is not a day that goes by that we can um, avoid hearing about some story of violence or war or hostility. Even if it's not within miles of us, we can still hear about it. The world is filled with war and violence and hostility, whether that's Paris, whether that's Aurora, whether that's Colorado Springs, wherever it is, the world is filled with war and violence and hostility, and we hear about it all the time, all the time, nonstop. It's constant. And so I think we can easily live, even more so than our ancestors, with a sense of no peace, no peace at all. But it's not just the world, right? What about our lives? Where, where do we need peace? Because it isn't just in the world, but if you think about your life, You may not be at war with somebody, but where is there hostility or tension? Sometimes the holidays even bring this out with family, with friends. Sometimes the holidays are times that a certain relative, and I don't know this about anyone's story, okay, so it's not, I'm not looking into your life, but certain certain relative they're not there at Christmas. 
Because everybody knows there's some tension and hostility with that person. I know that's happened to my family. That even the holidays can bring out, there's not peace. There's division. There's tension. So where do we, where do we need peace? Let's, let's move for a minute, not just from thinking about Israel and how they longed for peace or our world. But where do we need, where is there tension and hostility and relational discord in your life? Where are, there, where are there places where you have anger towards somebody or bitterness towards somebody? Where do you talk bad about people? Where is there maybe not even war and anger and hostility, but at the, at the lower level, annoyance? Just, man, I just don't really like to be around these people. You just kind of get bu- bugged and bothered by them. See, peace is this sense of harmony. It's this peace is a sense of, it's peace is not just the absence of war. I know that's how we often think about it when we, when we think of peace, but peace is not just the absence of war. Peace is people at harmony. People one. People together. That's what peace is. So where do we need peace? Where is it in our lives right now? And it might be bad, right? Like there might be people that you are at war with, people that you have as an enemy, there may be some deep strife and division that maybe has been carried on for years and years. I mean, I know, I know people, I have family that haven't talked to other family in a long time. And there is not peace. But I also know in my own life, while maybe I don't have people that I'm an enemy with, I know in my life that there isn't perfect peace with every human being that walks the face of the earth. But there can be relational discord and there can be bitterness and there can be anger and there can be maybe if not carried on for years, in moments. Peace is harmony. It's where relationships are working, flowing perfectly. Where do we need peace? Where do you need peace? Where do you need peace? Something we long for. Something we need. So how is it that God gives peace? How does God give peace? If, if what Isaiah foretold was that there would be a day when God would bring peace, if this is what Israel hoped for, if this is what Israel longed for, if it's, if it's what we believe, and we're talking about it, and we light a candle to say that one of the things that God gives to us is peace, how does God give peace? What does that really mean? God says he comes to bring peace, but what does that really mean? How is it that God gives peace? How, how can in the, in the areas and in the places in our lives where we need peace, how can God give to us peace? And Jesus was promised as this, well, I mean, before they knew it was Jesus, what, what Isaiah elsewhere in his book promised is that God would send a prince of peace. And maybe you've heard that name for Jesus, that he's the prince of peace. And when I think of that term, I think about you know, sometimes there's areas in our world where there's civil war and there's um, kind of revolutionary war or there's, there's one side against another side. And sometimes what, what is hoped for is that some ruler will come up from that and be able to bring stability to the area. So there might be this faction that's fighting and this faction that's fighting and these people that are fighting, but, but people kind of hope. Maybe if, if one of these rulers can come and bring stability then there will, be, there will be peace. And so what was promised is that one day God would send a prince of peace 
that one day God would send a prince that would bring peace. Because he, wouldn't, he, he would be a prince, he would be a king, he would be one that, that had authority and had power. But he wouldn't use that authority and that power to get people to serve him or, or to dominate or to harm or to hurt. But he would use that power, he would be a ruler, a prince of peace. So this is what was promised, that God would give a prince of peace. And, and you know this, we've, we've looked at it, and you, and you know it just from, um, from the Bible and from Christmas stories, that when Jesus was born, that's exactly what was announced. The angel said this, for unto, we, we, we looked at this uh, a couple weeks ago when he announced this to the shepherds. He said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So there had been this promised prince that would come to bring peace. Israel was waiting for one day when there would be peace. And when Jesus is born, it's announced, here is the one that brings peace. Here's the one that comes to bring peace. Now think about that. I mean, think about someone coming to bring peace. That one would come that would make it so there's no more relational. I mean, so we can look at the global and say no more war and no more strife and no more struggling. But think about our life, your life where you need peace. And God says that with the birth of Jesus has come one that brings peace. No more quarreling. No more arguing. No more fighting. No more cold shoulder. No more silent treatment. No more I'm going to this side of the house and you're going to that side of the house. No more shutting doors loudly. No more stomping feet. Unless it's marching band. No more, sorry, no more, we always need marching band. No more, no more tension between people. Now wouldn't that be nice? No more wondering what people are saying behind your back. No more hurt feelings. And God said that Jesus would come and be a prince that brought peace. And when Jesus is born, the angels sing, here's the one that brings peace. Here's the one that brings peace between people. Yes, swords will be turned into shovels, and yes, spears will be turned into hooks, but at the ground level of our lives, what that means is no more arguing, no more bitterness, no more calling someone just because you have to, even though you really don't like them. Peace, harmony, wholeness. Something that we long for, something that, something that we need. And God says that he gives peace in the birth of Jesus, in the coming of Jesus. But here's the thing, it was misunderstood. It didn't happen how they expected it would happen. Because if you hear that, and how they heard that, this person's going to come. This king, this prince is going to come, and he's going to bring peace. 
the way they thought that that would play out is that Jesus, that whoever this person was, he would come in, he would come in riding on a chariot, swords in hand to destroy the enemy. I mean, if you think about some place where there's war in our country, and, and not in our country, sorry, in the world right now. If you think about some place in the world right now where there's war, and, and, and it was announced to people fighting, guess what? Somebody's coming, and he's going to bring peace. You would think even today, oh, what that means is they've got some weapons. They've got some ability to wipe out the enemy. And this is what Israel heard. And this is what people thought. Even Jesus' followers around him, they kept asking him questions like, when is it that you're going to restore Israel? When's it going to happen? Some of his disciples even asked him, can we call down fire on these people? They believed that this prince that would bring peace, the way he would do it is by destroying the enemy. They didn't understand. And I think often we don't either. If you think about your life and when I think about my life, and we think about areas that we need peace, and we hear that God is somebody that can bring peace. Look, so I'm telling you, God can bring peace to your life. Now, when you hear that, what do you think that means will happen? When they heard it, and when we hear it, often what we think is, oh, God will deal with my enemy. God will get rid of my opponent." Yes, I've got some relational tension, so God is going to bring peace. That means he will finally fix this person. My coworker, God will bring peace. He'll finally slap them into shape. My family that just doesn't get it, finally, God will bring peace. So he will help them all know how right I am. He will help me be vindicated over and above my enemies. This is how Israel heard this. This is how we often hear it. Think about those areas in your life where you don't have peace. Think about the people in your life that you're often angry with or annoyed with or bitter towards or frustrated with or that bother you or that are completely wrong. You know that person? Think about them. They're always wrong. You know that one? Yeah. And you think what it means that God will bring peace is that God will show them how right you are, that your enemies will be defeated. This is what Israel thought. This is what we often think when we hear God will give us peace. It's that the enemy will be defeated. But when Jesus came, he didn't show up and deal with Rome, the country, the empire that had occupied Israel. He didn't show up and deal with Rome. He showed up and dealt with Israel. When God shows up in our lives and we want peace, most of the time, God isn't going to deal with your family, your spouse, your coworker, your kids, the traffic. He's going to deal with you. Most of the time when we crave peace, when we desire peace, when we want peace, and God says, I will give to you peace. I see that you long for peace. I see that you want peace. Most of the time the way God brings that into our lives, how he did with Israel, how he did with Jesus, was not, I will wipe out your enemies, but it was, I will, I will deal with you and your heart. See, where does peace begin? Where is it that peace begins? If we want to understand how God brings peace, we have to understand where peace actually begins. 
And what the Bible teaches, and I know this can be a hard concept for some people to understand, what the Bible teaches, what Jesus taught, and why Jesus came so unexpectedly was that the real enemy was not out there, but it's our own hearts. Our own hearts that fight against God. Our own hearts that desire to do their own thing. Our own hearts that say, God, I don't really want you to be the king in my life. I'd rather do my own thing. See, what we're taught, what Jesus taught, is that the enemy that God comes to deal with is not outside of us, but inside of us. It's our hearts. That's what the Bible calls sin. It's what Jesus called sin. It's it's out of our hearts, this desire and this craving for us to rule our own life. For us to do our own thing. And so when God comes to bring peace, he doesn't attack our enemies, but he goes after our hearts. See, uh, I don't know if you saw the movie, The Age of Ultron, uh, The Avengers. If you didn't, you should, you should see it. It's great. Uh, you can borrow it. I've got it. Unless you, some of you are from out of town. I'm not going to let you borrow it. But, um, <laughs> well, I will if you really want to. Um, but it's, they, they make this robot. Okay, and I'm just going to, I'm sorry if it's a spoiler, but it's going to happen. Okay, so they make this robot. The, the superheroes, they, uh, one of them, Iron Man, Tony Stark, he makes a robot. And he makes the robot and gives it this mission. They program into the robot this mission. And the mission is peace in our time. That's the mission. That this robot would be able to bring peace in our time. Now something happens and the robot is too smart, art, like all, you know, all the artificial intelligence movies, it is smart and doesn't want to do what it's told. And it takes its programming, peace in our time, and says, the only way for there to be peace in our time is for me to destroy humanity. Because, and it, and it flashes through all these video clips, humans bring war and humans do this. And he, so if my mission is to bring peace in our time, the only way I can do that is to destroy the world. Now, the Avengers, bless their hearts. Some of you are from the South, so you know that means they're horrible. Bless their hearts. Um, We're wrong. Ultron was right. I hate to say that as a superhero fan, but Ultron was right. The only way to truly bring bring peace in our time would be to get rid of humans. Because humans are the ones that cause the problems, right? There is no peace when humans are around. Ultron must have read the Bible. Because what the Bible teaches is that humans are the problem. And not those humans, but us humans. And so when Jesus comes, he doesn't deal with the enemy out there, but he deals with the enemy inside of us, sin. He comes to bring peace. But the way that he brings peace is by going after our hearts by dealing with the sin in us. But here's what's interesting. Jesus, unlike Ultron, doesn't say, so, since humans are the problem, what I will do is destroy them. Since they are the enemy, I will destroy them. Instead, he lets humans destroy him. The way that Jesus brings peace, instead of wiping out his enemies, instead of wiping out every human heart, that longs to be its own king in rebellion against God, instead of wiping us out, he says, I will let you wipe me out. 
Here's how Paul said it in his book to the church in Colossae. He says, for in him, talking about Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, that God came to this earth in Jesus. And through him, to reconcile, that's peace, to bring relationship back to good, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So in order for there to be peace, there has to be war. We know that, as sad as that is. In order for there to be peace, there has to be war. In order for Jesus to bring peace between God and man, The enemy had to be destroyed. But the enemy is our sinful hearts. But the way that Jesus dealt with that, which is so unlike anything we see anywhere in the world, the way that Jesus dealt with the enemy was not by destroying the enemy, but by letting the enemy destroy him. He made peace by the blood of his cross. What that means is that Jesus said, the enemy should be destroyed, but instead I'll take their place. The enemy should be crucified, You and I, for our sin against God, should be crucified. But Jesus says, I'm going to do it instead. That's what what Christians call the gospel, the good news. It's that Jesus would take our place, that he would reconcile us to God, that he he would bring us peace between us and God through the cross. So where does peace begin? It begins with our relationship with God having peace. See, the main problem is not our enemies out there. The main problem is that we don't have peace with God. We're unsure of what God thinks of us. If we are aware, we know that there's guilt within us, that we've sinned against God, that we've lived our own life and done our own thing. And there's not peace between us and God. But peace begins with Jesus saying, I'm going to fix that. Instead of there being tension between you and God, I'm going to go to the cross which is the penalty that we should have. And since he does it instead of us, it brings peace between us and God. It brings peace between us and God. And then here's what happens. That's where peace begins. But then Paul later in the letter says, here's how that then spreads to peace in our life with each other. Here's what he says later. He says, talking to the church, talking to people, saying, okay, God's given you this peace. And then a little bit later in his letter, he says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. So he's saying, this is the kind of attitude. Since God has chosen you and given you peace, here's the kind of attitude that you should take on. You should have compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And look at this. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. See, peace begins with God giving peace to us. That we don't have peace with God, but God says, I will give you peace. I won't hold against you what you've done. I bring to you peace. But then that spreads from us into the areas that we don't have peace. I said, where do you need peace? Think about your life. People you have tension with and bitterness and anger and hostility or annoyance or get bothered by. And what Paul says is this, that because God has given us peace, 
we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Let the peace that he has given to you be so real in your heart that it, it rules it. It takes it over. So that what's ruling in your heart is not some other peace. Some peace of if I get my way, there will be peace. Or if they do what I want, there will be peace. Or when they change, there will be peace. But let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And then all this happens. Compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and forgiving. And when, when, someone, when you have a complaint against one another, you bear with one another. See, when the peace that we get from God rules in our hearts, it spreads to each other. And, and here's what happens. When that begins to happen, here's what it means. It means you're not always on edge when people criticize you or you perceive that they're criticizing you. See, sometimes we can live really defensively. So anytime someone points something out or says something or makes some comment, we, we, we perceive it as an attack against us because we're not living at peace. But he says, if the peace of Christ is ruling in your heart, if you know you have peace with God, you have peace with God, then even if someone attacks you or criticizes you, it doesn't, it doesn't have to destroy you and shake you up and get at the core of your identity and your worth and your value because you have peace with God. And it means this. It means when someone offends you, when someone offends you, not just a perceived offense, a real offense, because this happens, right? People really offend you. They really do things to you that are wrong. But if the peace of Christ is ruling in our hearts, we're able to overlook it. We're able not to go to war with them over it. You know how many times a week people will offend you? Over and over and over again. It might be small offenses, someone cutting you off in traffic. That's a big offense. It might be small offenses, big offenses. It may be from people close to you or people you don't know. But people will offend you all the time. But when we know, you know how offensive I've been to God? You know how offensive I've been to God? You know how I've tried to be my own king instead of him as king? You know that how God made me and loved me and cared for me and I've said, hey, I'm going to kind of do my own thing? You know how offensive I've been to God and yet his posture towards me was, hey, let's have peace. Think about this. I, I know I've said this before, but you know how hard it is if, if you get into a fight with someone, particularly a spouse or someone you're really close with, you get into a fight with someone and you, you, know, you both did something wrong or maybe you think you didn't and then later you know you did, but you, you're, you both, you're, there's tension you know how hard it is to be the one that takes that first step to say, hey, let's resolve this. That is so hard. Maybe it's just me, but that is so hard to be the one that says, I'm going to take the first step towards you to say either I'm sorry, I was wrong, or to say, hey, let's work this out. It is so hard. We can't get over ourselves. That's why there's cold shoulder and silent treatment and, and, and you know, tapping foot syndrome where we wait for someone to come to us and all of that. And we are the offending person against God, but he takes the step towards us. And he is not in the wrong at all. And he comes to the earth. So look, if that is what's ruling in our hearts, that we know, man, I've offended God and he took the step towards me, 
a big step from heaven to earth. He took the step towards me. When that, is the, when that peace rules in our hearts, then when other people offend us, which is going to happen, we can go, you know what? I don't have to hold on to that. I don't have to go to war with you over it. Because when I offended God, he gave me peace. See, when this is ruling in our hearts, it, it, when in our hearts, it creates peace in our life, not by dealing necessarily with our enemies, but by dealing with our hearts, by dealing with us. Wherever there's not peace in your life right now, peace begins with Christ's peace ruling in your heart. And then it begins to spread towards other people so you can overlook offenses done against you and you can forgive. Is there someone that it's hard for you to forgive? Do you know that God has forgiven you? That he has given you peace? Who's the worst enemy in your life right now? Who's the person you don't like to see, don't like to think about? Who's the person that keeps offending you and keeps wronging you? God has given us peace, which allows us to give others peace. But that only happens when the peace of Christ is ruling in your heart. And the way that God gives peace is not mainly by dealing with our enemies, but by dealing with the enemy inside of us. So let me tell you something really practically that this means. What this means is this. If there is somebody in your life that even you're thinking about and it comes to your mind, I mean, I, I want you to think about this as a, whole, as a whole life pattern that we should be living in, but maybe really specifically there's someone you're thinking of. Take that step of reconciliation towards them. Now, it might not work. We can't control that, just as God. Sometimes we, God approaches us and we reject him. But if there's someone in your life and you haven't attempted to bring peace into the situation with them? The first thing I would say is, do you know the peace of Christ? And if you do, can you take the first step towards someone and bring peace towards them? I'm not saying that's easy, and that's why you start with, that's why it has to begin with, is the peace of Christ ruling in your heart. Not just something you know about, not just something that we can light a candle about, but is it ruling in your heart? God has given us peace. God has given us peace. He's given us peace. And, and this peace points to the fact that one day there will be a second advent. See, when we, when we talk about advent, it's the coming or the arrival of Jesus. And there has been a coming, there has been an arrival of Jesus, but one day there will be another coming, there will be another arrival of Jesus. And we don't know when that is, don't make a chart and map it all out, because everyone's always wrong. Anytime someone says they know when it is, that's when you know it's not going to be. So don't map it all out and try to figure out, but one day, one day there will be another advent, another coming. And the peace that we can get here in pockets and in snippets and relationally, one day the peace will come completely. One day, really, there will be no more war. One day, really, we will have total hope and total love and total joy and total peace. And when we see these pockets, when, look, when we can go, man, I can, God's peace is ruling in my heart and I'm able to forgive someone that has wronged me or overlook an offense done to me. 
that gives us a hope that one day when Jesus returns, that peace will not just be in those smaller relational ways, but total. The whole world will be at peace. When we take communion, as we will do in just one minute, what we remember is this. We remember that Jesus came to bring to us peace. And the way that he brought peace was through the cross. That peace came through his blood, as Paul said. Look, if you're a Christian, you have peace with God because of what Jesus did. That Jesus did not turn against us in our sin, but turn towards us. He did not turn away from us, but took steps towards us and said, I want peace. And when we take communion, that's what we remember, that his blood was shed and his body was broken so that we could have peace with God and then peace with one another. That Jesus is the prince of peace. He's the king that brings peace. And he brought it not by destroying his enemies, but by giving life to his enemies. He brought it not by destroying the enemies out there, but by dealing with the enemies in our own heart. So as you take communion, if you're a Christian, I want you to, I want you to think about and thank God that he's brought peace to you. And ask him to let that peace rule in your heart. It may be, maybe it's not very real to you. Ask him to let it rule in your heart. Ask him to let it overtake your heart such that you give it out to others such that peace becomes the air you breathe relationally, not just as a candle that's lit on a Sunday. So take communion if you're a Christian. Remember the peace that he's given to you and ask God to let that peace be flowing through you to others that need it as well. And then we'll sing songs. We'll sing songs remembering how good God is, the God that would give to us hope, love, joy, and peace. God, thank you that you have given to us peace. Thank you that we don't have to wonder where we are with you. We don't have to wonder if we're okay with you, but that in Jesus you've made there be peace between us, reconciliation between us, so that now when you see us and now when you think of us, you think only in terms of harmony and peace with us. So I thank you for that, Jesus. God, I know that there's many people in this room tonight, and I know because of just how we are as humans that there's relational tension and hostility and brokenness and sadness mixed up in this room with different people. And God, I pray that you would let your peace rule in our hearts. I pray that for anyone here that doesn't know you tonight, you would let your peace rule in their heart. God, I pray for all of us that you would allow your peace to change our hearts such that we don't just receive it, but we give it to others. Thank you, God, that you've forgiven us, you've reconciled us, you've overlooked our offenses, and you've brought us peace. Let us then give that to others, Jesus.